Welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, the podcast that makes you the authority in orthodontics in your community. Get ready for insights on how to compete on expertise and trust against mail order in retail orthodontics. It's not always about the lowest fees. And now, from the People in Practice team, your hosts, Dr. Leon Klempner and Amy Epstein. Welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists. My name is Leon Klempner. I'm a retired orthodontist from Long Island, or as my family would say, Long Island. I'm also the founder and CEO of People in Practice. We're a a marketing and consulting uh, agency for orthodontists. We started the podcast uh, to bring in the best thought leaders in the field so that we can gain as much information and insight as to how to best respond to what I would call an attack on the integrity of our specialty. And I assure you, this episode will not disappoint. I am really excited to have Chris Benson as our guest today. But before we introduce him, let me introduce my partner, co-host, daughter, and marketing guru, Amy Epstein. Thank you. Hi there. I'm Amy Epstein. I do not say Long Island. (laughs) I have about 20 years of marketing, branding, and PR experience working with companies large and small on everything from branding and transition communications to digital lead generation campaigns. Thanks for listening in today because, like my dad said, we have a very exciting guest to introduce, and that's Chris Benson. Chris is a partner of Benson Koppel and Associates based in Greensboro, North Carolina. His team serves the orthodontic community by performing practice valuations, providing recruiting services, and negotiating transactions with both buyers and sellers. Chris also serves as editor-in-chief of the Benson Koppel Resource, a highly respected newsletter focusing on the business aspects of running a successful orthodontic practice. Welcome, Chris, to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Leon. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be with you. I've listened to your early podcast, and I've learned a lot. They're fantastic, so it's great to be a part. Great, Chris. And uh, I mean, I, as I said before, I'm super excited because um, I, you know, I go. I've been going to ortho lectures for I don't know 40 years or so. And when you came on the scene, I mean, every time you're at one of those meetings, I'm in the audience. Because I don't know anybody that really has a better pulse on the business of orthodontics than you do. And I always learn something when when I listen to you. So I'm particularly thrilled to have you here with us. And I know there's a lot of excitement in the uh, for our audience as well. Um, we talk on the we've talked in the past on the podcast with previous guests about what I call the elephant in the room which is the disruption happening in the orthodontic specialty. Uh, I just finished writing an article entitled The Golden Age of Orthodontics, Ending or Beginning? And spoiler alert, um, we feel that for forward-thinking orthodontists, the golden age is ahead of us. It's just beginning. Uh, Smile Direct, Align, they've created a tremendous appetite for straightening teeth to the public, particularly aligners. So at People in Practice, we're counseling our ortho practices to go after these easy cases, the retreats, the 10, 15 aligner cases, with targeted internet 
um, advertising. And unlike direct-to-consumer, the differentiator is they're totally supervised by a local orthodontist. Uh, with a lower overhead, maybe $500 or so for uh, aligners, and a lower price point, you can be uh, pretty profitable at the $3,000 or $3,500 range. And, and basically, we could disrupt the disruptors. So things are changing quickly, um, and there are many options now for orthos to lower their lab costs as opposed to aligners, I mean align. There's a lot of uh, Invisalign competitors now, and now there's digital printing. So the question is, in your view, how has this disruption affected small and solo practices, and what do you think about the future of the orthodontic specialty? That's really the question of the day, isn't it, Leon and Amy? I mean, that's that's what we're all trying to figure out. And fortunately, I share your view. Um, unfortunately, I think um, orthodontists as a group have been slow on the uptake, but we now have what, five, six years of kind of direct-to-consumer. We've got 21 years of Invisalign. We we have a lot more data at our disposal today than we've had yesterday or the, the day before. And so the data is pretty clear to me that uh, if you are willing to do things differently and make changes, and that doesn't mean you have to sacrifice quality or ethics or anything like that, that I'm in total agreement that the future of the orthodontic specialty is extremely bright for those who adapt to the current environment. And the current environment is much different today than it was 30 years ago when I started in orthodontics. And so the technology that we need to deploy is different. The consumer certainly is always evolving and is different. The treatment modality ideas, the way that we charge out our fees, the way that we talk to the consumer within our small drawing areas, the solo and small group practices is is uh, a necessary skill to learn, and that's different. And uh, but all these things taken together, you can grow at an accelerated pace. You can be enormously successful. If I had a child that wanted to be an orthodontist, I would strongly encourage that child to to pursue it. It's not uh, a wet blanket feel; it's a warm blanket feel. And I think the the future is quite bright. And I share your view. Mm. And, 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 you know, just to follow up, what do you think of that, you know, like two price point um, approach, like going after the, 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 the cases that are being attracted by the, the direct-to-consumer uh, market, the, the easier cases, the, the shorter treatment cases, and, and doing them at a, a, a lower fee point? What do, you, what do you think about that strategy? Uh, I, I think it's the strategy of the future uh, for those who choose to adopt. And anecdotally, we're starting to see practices be extremely successful for it. The fear that orthodontists have is if I do that, all my fees migrate to the bottom number and I don't want to mm. do that. There's no um, evidence yet that that's, that occurs. Um, it's more of how well can we listen to the consumer um, or the patient, um, as, as a lot of people like to say. And if we listen well and don't offer them something they don't want, we can, we can share in this great growth that, uh, that really, you know, the, the small direct clubs of the world and, and the, the people that have spawned off that idea are tapping into because I don't think 
of the 400,000 cases, plus or minus, that Smile Direct Club is going to start in the U.S. this year, that it's going to affect the orthodontist, you know, more than 1% one, 1 or so. In the, in the previous five years, it hasn't affected them uh, almost nil. But they will affect uh, the orthodontic profession if we don't include these people in our you know, business model. No orthodontist is at capacity. Uh, we have chair time. We have the ability to treat these patients. If you really think about this consumer, it really would rather have a specialist oversee their care and have some place to go to get started and to end. But there's all kinds of technology. We might touch on some of that later in the in, in the podcast about making it more convenient. Um, so, you know, it's scary for orthodontists to to try, but um, this is where the future is, folks. There's an expanding base of patients. Don't let uh, the, the DIY folks um, um, or the direct-to-consumer folks, you know, have this market. Take some of it, and I think you're going to see accelerated growth over the next decade for those that do. Yeah, we agree. And, you know, we were having an interesting conversation with a couple of clients recently, and it seems also that it's not just about, um, you know, taking some of that market share from the direct-to-consumer companies and then giving them sort of more of what they want, which is with supervision. But I think there's also a segment that's in between that actually isn't pursuing treatment because they have either were treated long ago and they've relapsed and they feel like, okay, well, I'm sort of in between. I'm not going to be unsupervised. But at the same time, I might not be ready for an 18-month full um, you know, treatment plan. And those people are, are perfect for the, for the situation we're talking about now with a sort of a limited treatment model. So I think that there's also opportunity to expand the market as well. Absolutely. And, you know, you talk to orthodontists and, and they have the notion as a group that every patient that signs up for Smile Direct Club has a low dental IQ, has, uh, you know, doesn't even have a dentist, is not a patient that they wanted to treat, can't afford it in their office anyways. But when you really lift the hood up, there's a significant percentage of these patients that are school teachers, that are engineers, that just don't want to mm -hmm. take work off, that did have right. treatment when they were younger, just like you suggested. Right. They just want a better result and who better than an orthodontist to provide it, but the orthodontist doesn't give them that option exactly. um, in any markets today. Exactly. To talk about the, you know, the kind of cannibalism of the, of the lower fee price point, I, I think that there's an opportunity once you bring uh, new patients in and educate them that a lot of them will choose to go with a more comprehensive treatment once they're better educated. So I, I see it as, as a way of, of just engaging a, a new channel of new patients. And then, you know, I think as orthodontists, and, and this speaks to that ethical uh, uh, comment that you made earlier, we have an obligation to present all treatment options and, and educate them as to the pluses and minuses, but we don't have the right to decide for them. So I, I think by, by presenting all of the available options, even making a professional recommendation, um, a lot of those that are coming in for just kind of the limited treatment, once they learn a little bit more about what's possible in orthodontics, will choose, you know, to go with full treatment. Mm -hmm. yeah, I agree with that, guys. I mean, 
you, you think about some of the places you go, you take your car to the mechanic uh, to get something that's broken fixed, and they'll tell you five other things that maybe you could do, and you decide what you want to do. In dentistry, if I go to my general dentist because I've moved to a new town and I get my initial first visit done with the general dentist, they'll do a full mouth workup and they'll say, Chris, you know, you got $28,000 worth of stuff that, that we see that you could probably work on. Where do you want to start? But when I go to the orthodontist, I get usually today and historically, I get a, you know, there's one option and it's perfect occlusion. And not everybody wants that. And so it's a listening thing like we talked about. It's understanding where the, uh, who's, who's saying yes to this treatment. And then with education, as you suggest, Leon, many of them, not all, but many of them will, you know, go up the chain and say, well, let's do the whole Monty. But uh, some won't, and you have to be okay with that. And you can make money doing that, and it fills chair time, and it's profitable, especially if you uh, invoke some of the technology that's available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, sort of dovetailing off of the conversation about who we're talking to and who we're educating here, where the opportunity lies. Um, recently released census estimates show that between 2010 and 2018, the nation's 18 and under population has declined by about 1%. So it's about 780,000 people, while the adult population grew by about 8%. What's it's the lowest birth rate since 1937. So that other than the obvious need for orthodontists to treat more adults, what are your thoughts on this trend? Uh, you, thank you for bringing it up because I, I feel like sometimes, Leon, you said you, you know you always learn something. I feel like I'm telling the same story, you know, year after year after year, and some of it is different, but some, but some of it's the same. But this is something that's been the same for a long time. Since 2007, we've seen an incremental decrease in the number of children born in North America, including Canada, year over year. Uh, we, we birthed 4.3 million children in 2007. We birthed 3.8 uh, million last year. That was the lowest, uh, you know, what was the you're aiming 19 something i mean a long time and yeah 75 yeah, percent of our our patients historically have been adolescents so you know if that's our business and we're business owners as solo and small group practitioners we've got to change our model a little bit and do three or four things one is we need to refocus on adult treatment because that's where the growth has been over the last eight years and i think will continue to be in the, in the next decade but secondly with some of these treatment modalities if there's fewer kids and there's more people fighting for the kids and that's 75 percent of our cases why not differentiate your practice by doing things like you know invisalign teen because that's a practice differentiator today that likely won't be 10 years from now. But um, if I was a practitioner today, I would I would want to differentiate myself in the teen market uh, by using perhaps a cooler, more hip um, treatment modality like aligner therapy. But I think you've got to see how you, you know, what is your voice and how do you communicate to the adult market, this young adult market that we've been talking about? And if you don't do that really well, I think it's going to be a steeper uphill climb for orthodontists. So understanding demographic trends is important and they're not going to change they're not going to be hugely dramatic but they'll start affecting practices and they are now and um, it's a great point to bring up so thanks for mentioning that yeah no absolutely glad to hear your thoughts on it so um, as is customary on this podcast we like to involve our orthodontic listeners so let's take a question fantastic this is Boyd Whitlock from Arkansas and Chris uh, I've been really intrigued and impressed with your reporting on our share of chair and the impact that clear liner therapy 
can really take advantage of this. I'd be interested in your take. I've been recently using dental monitoring. I'd really love to have your input, your take on how this can affect our numbers and our practices as well. Gosh, great question, Boyd, and thanks thanks for asking it. Uh, you know, I got a, a full kind of A to Z review of dental monitoring at the AO this year. I kind of knew about it, but didn't really know as much as I do now. And I'm seeing uh, rapid uptake in adoption of this product. When you think about what this does, and for those of you who don't know, basically it's using teledentistry as a way to see if your your patient is tracking uh, in the way that you want them to, whether they're in brackets and wires or with aligners. And um, when you think about what the consumer wants today and why there's so much growth in this direct-to-consumer kind of modalities that are out there, overarching common thread is convenience. They don't, they want to be seen and supervised by an orthodontist, but they don't want to come in 20 times over two years to, to get treatment done. What dental monitoring allows you to do. And, you know, I think you're tapping into it, Boyd is, you know, extend treatment time uh, by touching base and having the patient be part of the process, more engaged in the process by scanning their teeth with this dental monitoring device, see if the aligners fit, see if the archwire is, you know, fully engaged in tracking. I'm, I'm getting out of my realm here because I'm not a clinician, but, um, you know, so Leon, you may have to help me, but, you know, this allows you to extend treatment intervals maybe beyond six to eight weeks to 12, 15, 20 weeks and that translates to convenience for the patient. It's using technology to, to do things better. It's going to make us more efficient. It's going to help us drive down our overheads with people, which is where we spend more money than in any place else. It's going to make a busy orthodontic practice a day much more enjoyable. And I'm a total fan of it. Uh, the company's out of Paris. I think they have tremendous technology. I think it's going to keep getting better. I think uh, Joe Hogan on the quarterly call was asked a question similar to what Boyd asked and kind of didn't want to get in much detail and alluded to it. We've written an article about it in our latest newsletter. The, the AEO is writing a white paper on teledentistry. This is coming. It needs to be adopted big time. The consumer wants to use this kind of technology and the orthodontist should for efficiency reasons, in my opinion. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, so are we. And, you know, just as yeah, full good. disclosure, I do, I have lectured for DM. I feel strongly about that that product. And, and um, but I have no financial yeah. interest in the company. I don't own any, any of the stocks or not involved in, in that aspect of it, other than believing that the technology of, of artificial intelligence, um, as you said, not only addresses the convenience factor because, you know, I, I think a big misconception for many of the orthodontists listening is that the success of Smile Direct Club is based on their low fee. And that's only a small part of it. Um, as Chris, as you mentioned earlier, uh, busy professionals uh, don't have the time or are unwilling to to give the time of coming into an orthodontic office on a monthly or six-week basis. And, um, and as a result, they, they just don't do it. And, and DM is an opportunity not only to address the convenience, but on the clinical end, for me as an orthodontist, retired now, but when I, I did a lot of aligner treatment, um, the ability to monitor my patients to make sure they're tracking without having to bring them in is a big, big plus. Uh, you know, a lot of times I'd bring a patient in 
and and I'd check their aligners and check that they were tracking, tracking meaning that the aligners were, you know, intimately fitting with the teeth, so things were moving along before I'd give them the next aligner. But if they were very compliant, they'd come in, you know, they'd take off from time, take off from work, they'd sit, you know, park, go in the waiting room, uh, come and sit down in the chair, I'd come by, I'd look and I'd say, yeah, you're doing great, here's more aligners, and they would look at me, and I would look at them, and it's like, oh, what a waste of time that was. Um, with DM, you could monitor that, and you can you can pick up unseats or non-tracking uh, immediately and, and address them. And the big advantage of that is refinements. You know, uh, those of us that do a lot of aligners know that refinements are the killer in terms of efficiency. And with DM, you can catch a patient at the aligner that they're not tracking and make the adjustments to bring them in. And there are a lot of orthodontists that are actually making appointments on demand now where, um, you know, they only see them if there's a need to see them. So uh, I'm with you on this one, uh, Chris, that uh, if we don't embrace the technology and, and close the gap between um, the, the convenience that the patient is looking for and, and the, uh, the traditional model that we've developed over the years, uh, I think those practices are going to be in trouble. I agree. There's there's a coolness factor to DM too that you know it's kind of different and cool. I mean it's 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 uh, the consumer will respond positively to this and and it will engage them in their treatment and they'll tell their friends. I think the referrals will actually increase for practices that use DM. I don't know if there's mm-hmm. any data around that yet, but yeah. Um, uh, Scheduling, you touched on, Leon, that's a, that's a new area, too, where we're, we're doing some things much differently than we did 10 years ago, five years ago, um, mm-hmm. and uh, embrace this stuff because it it's, uh, allows you to do what you know how to do, which is diagnose and treat patients, but do it in a more convenient, simpler way that's engaging to the consumer. Right. And I have to mention, from a marketer's standpoint, there's huge value in the differentiation that DM yeah. uh allows for in practices that use it. Um, you know, being able to have that type of um, marketing message to get out to the community in a widespread way is huge. Very attractive, very attractive to the people who you can communicate its benefits to, which is time. You are giving time back to these people. So it's a great way to, to really underscore the difference between your practice and everybody else. Um, okay, great. So you know what? Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the growth of corporate dentistry and the consolidation of multiple practices, which we're seeing. Our data shows that GP and uh, even pedo referrals are waning. And at the same time, there's downward pressure on fees. Where does it stop? Uh, what, what does it do to practice valuations? And, and lastly, what should we do um, if a corporate dental practice opens up uh, in in our area? Well, it's not if they open up, it's when do they open up. Uh, there's no stopping this train. I don't like it because um, I spent 30 years with solo and small group practitioners, but um, I tried to stiff arm these guys. You know, I think a lot of orthodontists were like me, you know, that are my age. I'm 57. I just said, you know, corporate is bad. They can't do it as well. They can't, they can't provide the touch, the uh, the execution, the excellence that a solo or small group practitioner could be. And in some cases, that's true, but it's, it's not true across the board. So corporate dentistry, we call them by different names, is, is, you know, let's start this conversation with where is it right now? And if you look at all of dentistry, 
you know, there's some recent data that's published by the ADA Health Policy Institute that just came out uh, this year. It says in 2017 about, um, you know, 9% of dentists, and that's general dentists and all specialists, are hitched in some way in an employment uh, way to corporate dentistry. And that, um, you know, that's going to continue to grow. When you look at the specialty, um, you know, we've got, you know, eight or 9% of our dentists that are associated with some kind of corporate model. The interesting thing, Amy and Leon, is that, um, you know, you look at who who's doing this. Everybody thought it would be the 65-year-old orthodontist that wanted to retire, but uh, there's a lot of 40-somethings and mid-40-somethings and early 50-somethings that are doing this. But when you really break it down, the orthodontists that are under 35 and the dentists that are under 35 are 2x represented as employees in these folks. So they're attracting young doctors. And when we look at resident data, uh, what we see is, you know, five years ago, where it would have been 80% of the residents said, when I get out, I want to own and be a solo or small group practitioner. Now, 80% say I'm expecting for at least the next five years to be an employee doctor. Huge fundamental shift. Um, so it's not going away. It's going to come to your neighborhood. I think the solo and small group practice will always have a space. And um, people do this for different reasons. They do it for monetary reasons. They do it because they don't know or don't want to make the phone ring and do the effort that it takes uh, to provide that. Uh, they do it because they're not great business leaders and you have to be a better business leader today. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of equivalent to being a great clinician um, as far as being having a successful orthodontic practice. So not sure if I answered your question, but the trend will not stop. I've decided to embrace uh, getting to know the, the DSOs in the orthodontic space that I think are quality so that when I'm having a discussion with an orthodontist and they say, hey, what is happening in the corporate world? I might be interested. I can intelligently say, here's the mission of this group. Here's their geograph geographic, uh, you know, eccentric area of influence. Here's kind of how they model. Here's what you're going to make. Here's what you're probably going to get. What's that doing to evaluations? Probably propping them up because the, the corporate group will pay more than the doctor-to-doctor transaction. That's driving some older orthodontists to do this as well. But it's a phenomenon that we could spend a lot of time on, and I'll take it anywhere you want to go, or maybe I've talked too much. <laughs> No, not at all. Your perspective is uh, greatly appreciated and definitely something that we're grappling with. Um, you know, as we talk to our clients, maybe we'll have you back on and we can focus specifically on this topic and just dedicate a whole segment to it. Uh, there's a lot of information out there that we could could dive into. So, um, yeah, but it's not going to go away to the audience and they need to not be scared of it. They just need to execute um, at a high level and do some of the things we've talked about on this podcast and the ones that you've had on prior uh, to me. I mean, there's just a lot of learning you guys are providing the specialty. And Amy, I think it's great that, you know, you're really not an insider other than being kind of, you know, the daughter of an orthodontist, but having this industry experience is where we're seeing uh, we can get some new insights and do things a little bit differently than uh, practice management wise than we've done for the last 30 years. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, in the end, the the tenets of marketing, um, whether they're applied to a large multinational corporation or a small local corporation, they still apply. You have to know your audience, who you want to reach, what they care about, and then you have to give it to them. You have to communicate to them in the way that they need to be communicated to. So if we're talking about DM and you're sort of texting with your doctor or reducing the amount of time it takes to go through treatment, like these are all things that are important to the audiences that we're going to be looking to focus on moving forward. You guys are a fresh voice. It's great. Yeah. Well, thanks, Chris. Thank you. So on behalf of both of us and uh, the entire orthodontic community, I am sure, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts with us. Thank you so much. And I wish you guys great success with this podcast and anything we can do to help uh, the reach uh, extend beyond, you know, what you guys are doing. We're all about that because I've really enjoyed listening to the ones before and I I appreciate the the chance to to share some information with you today. Thanks, Chris. Looking forward to connecting again soon. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll take you up on that, Chris. And (laughs) so, yeah, don't don't go too far away. And and we'll definitely have you back on, on the show. There's just so much information there. As usual, we have a great lineup of guests moving forward. We're fortunate to have Sean Murphy, who is the legal counsel for the AAO, coming on in our next episode. We'll ask Sean about the progress of the direct-to-consumer litigation, uh, and we'll ask him some bread-and-butter questions uh, about handling divorce cases and a host of other interesting legal topics. If you'd like to ask Sean a question, or if you have a comment or a general suggestion for the podcast, you can visit us at thesurvivalguidefororthodontist.com and leave your question through our click to talk button. You can also download other episodes or sign up for our marketing newsletter. And of course, if you enjoyed the podcast, we appreciate it when you tell your colleagues. Definitely. And a few quick announcements. I'm going to be at the MKS Forum on Friday, October 25th and 26th in Dallas. I'll be talking about the topics that Chris and I have just been talking about, uh, along with some uh, specific recommendations of of what works and what doesn't work in this age of consumerism. They are offering a discount for our podcast listeners. So, $150 off registration. If you go to mksforum.com, use promotion code Klempner MKS, K-L-E-M-P-N-E-R MKS. I'll put the details in the show notes. That's a mouthful. They did not make that easy. Did not make that easy. (laughs) No, they didn't. But uh, you'll you'll get to learn how to spell my name. It's not Kempner. It's not Kempler. (laughs) It's Klempner. So there you go. Um, I'll also, uh, I've been invited by the AAO, and they will be sponsoring a free webinar that I'll be giving on December 10th. It's a Tuesday night. Uh, you can register right on the AAO site, and they'll be sending information out as well. And finally, we offer geographic exclusivity to our ortho clients. If you're interested in growing your practice, contact us to see if your area is available for complimentary comprehensive marketing analysis and action plan until next time remember the golden age is ahead thank you for joining us on the survival guide for orthodontists where we help your practice grow within a massively disrupted industry subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on social media find us online at the survival guide for orthodontists.com